Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the science of health, human performance, and ultimate potential. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and I'm a scientist with a PhD in human physiology. I have served as a professor in kinesiology at the University of Toronto and as a scientist in translational medicine at SickKids Hospital. I've also worked with dozens of Olympic-level athletes through the Canadian Sports Centre Network. In this podcast, I do my best to take complex research and make it understandable and actionable for you to improve your health and well-being and perform to your true potential at whatever it is that you care about the most. In each show, I chat with leading experts in the field of productivity, sleep, nutrition, physiology, and psychology, as well as some of the most exceptional performers across all disciplines. Together, we explore the amplifiers that propel us towards high performance and overcome the obstacles that challenge us. Ultimately, I want to share 1% gains that can make a massive difference in your life. Thank you for listening in, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Let me know your thoughts and comments on social at Dr. Greg Wells. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Great to be with you, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Today, I am sharing a presentation that I did at the 2023 Recovery and Sleep Summit. It was a virtual presentation. Obviously, there were slides and images which I can't show you on the podcast, but you will get the sense of what I was talking about as well as all of the insights around how we can sleep better and also how you can use your wearable technology to track your sleep and also what variables to be looking for from your wearable tech to know about whether you're sleeping well, what the quality of your sleep is, therefore giving and and how to then use that information to give you insights about how you can improve your sleep. So there's lots in here. Uh, It's about 30 minutes. So sit back, grab a tea, not a coffee, because this one's all about sleeping better and enjoy. If you have any questions, ping me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. Let me know what you thought. And without any further delays, please enjoy my presentation all about sleeping soundly at the 2023 Recovery and Sleep Summit. By the way, if you want to learn more about the Recovery and Sleep Summit and watch some of the other presentations, you can check out www.sleepcoachcourse.com and it is all there. All right, that's it. Enjoy my chat. Let me know what you thought at Dr. Greg Wells. Hi, everyone. Dr. Greg Wells here. I am so honored to be with you today and to share with you the concept of sleeping soundly and lots of science around how we can do that better, but then also to make sure that we share lots of specific tactics that you can use to improve your sleep. I know this is a subject that is really challenging for a lot of people, but the potential for us all getting better is massive. I have certainly struggled with sleep at various different times during my life, and I'm excited to share with you Some of the information I know will make a huge difference in your life. And if you are coaching people on sleep as well, you have people that you care about that need to sleep better. This can also help them tremendously. Ultimately, what I'm doing today is going to be sharing with you as much information as I can about the science of human physiology. And that's largely based on the fact that um, I have for the last 20 years been a researcher at the hospital for sick children in Toronto. In addition, previously I was at the University of Toronto in kinesiology and I do a lot of MRI research and we use uh, exercise 
to help us prevent, diagnose, and treat chronic illnesses in children like cystic fibrosis and leukemia and those sorts of conditions. And out of that has come my work and efforts to solve a billion-person problem, which is that around 20 to 25% of our population struggles with sleeplessness. We have around 20 to 40%, depending on the challenge, who struggle with mental health. We have anywhere from 50 to 65, maybe even 70% who are struggling with overweight and obesity. And about 85% of our population doesn't get enough physical activity to prevent a chronic disease. But even though these numbers are a little bit challenging, I'm actually entirely hopeful because when you look at them as a whole and begin to look at what we can do better, the solutions become quite apparent. I actually wrote all of this up in a book called The Ripple Effect uh, a number of years ago. I think this came out in like 2015 and the section that did the best was sleep, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but I also in that book talk about nutrition and talk about exercise and I talk about mindset but specifically the area that was most interesting to people was this area of sleeping soundly. And that is what I want to explore with you specifically today and take the information from all of the work that we've done at SickKids plus other research that is available to help us understand sleep a little bit better. And to get us started, I want to take you into the human body. So this is a depiction of the lymphatic system. So this is a circulatory system inside the body. It runs right next to your arteries and veins. It's full of a clear fluid called lymph, which flows through your body and picks up viruses, bacteria, broken down cells, waste products, pulls all of that into your lymphatic system where white blood cells from your immune system fight off all of these invaders. This is the system that keeps your body healthy. It's the system that keeps your body clean. It's why your doctor feels the lymph glands in your neck to see if you're fighting off a cold or the flu. It's incredibly important for us. But if you look at this image carefully, you'll notice that the lymphatic system is quite obvious in the groin, the stomach, the chest, the underarms, the arms, the neck gets up to about the cheeks and then it stops and it's not in the head. And up until very recently, we didn't know how the brain accomplishes what the body accomplishes in terms of keeping itself healthy and clean. And some research has been done to help us understand this a little bit better. So this is an MRI scan of the brain done by Mike Noseworthy at McMaster University. And so beautiful, right? Like just incredible when we see the brain in action. And we see here the white matter tracks deep inside the brain on diffusion tensor imaging. It's absolutely spectacular. If we were to zoom in a little bit further, we'd be able to see that there are 100 billion neurons inside of our brain. And at night, what happens when we sleep is that these 100 billion neurons that create thinking, problem-solving, concentration, focus, they shrink by about 60% and all the space opens up inside the brain. And a clear fluid called cerebral spinal fluid washes through the brain every single night while we sleep. This has been popularized by Jeff Illiff's TED Talk, but it's also been the source of a lot of research that has developed our understanding of the glymphatic system or the gliolymphatic system, basically the brain's ability to wash itself out every single night while we sleep. Now, when that happens, those fluids then come up to the inside of the skull, and a network of very recently discovered lymphatic vessels that then take that fluid and drain it out into the body every single night while we sleep. It's just so cool, so interesting, so amazing. So we know now 
one of the major reasons why we all need to prioritize our sleep. But we've also discovered how much sleep we actually need. So in this case, we've got on the y-axis, REM and stage one, two, three, four. Now we have five different, generally speaking, stages of sleep. REM is when you dream. Stage one and stage two is light sleep. Stage three, four is generally considered to be deep sleep. And we cycle through these phases of sleep throughout the course of the night. And broadly speaking, in general, as adults, we typically need around five complete sleep cycles, roughly 90 minutes each to have the lowest risk for all-cause mortality. That's dying of heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, all wrapped up in one. Five sleep cycles, 90 minutes each, to have the lowest risk for all of those particular conditions. Now, that brought, that, that generally means like seven to eight hours, right? Because five times 90 minutes is seven and a half hours. So in general, sort of that seven to eight hours is a sweet spot. However, realistically, it's kind of like six to nine is where we are okay because any less than four complete sleep cycles, 90 minutes each, six hours, your risk of all-cause mortality starts going up and any more than nine hours, all-cause mortality starts going up. But I actually think that less than six hours causes problems, whereas more than nine hours is a symptom of something not being, uh, not working very well. In either case though, we just need to try to get ourselves back to into that that sweet spot, that zone of seven to eight hours, five complete sleep cycles. Now that's not specifically the zone that we need to be in for all of us. This changes by age group. So this is the National Sleep Foundation sleep time duration recommendations. And as you can see, the younger that we get, the more sleep that we need. So if you have children, uh, if you have clients who are younger, then this is definitely something to prioritize, even more so the younger that we get. However, it becomes more difficult to sleep well the older that we get. So really, this is just true for absolutely all of us. Now, the really cool thing is when we do sleep better, amazing things start to occur. Like, for example, we improve our ability to learn. The way that we learn is that neurons grow and make connections between each other deep inside the brain. Now, this process occurs while we sleep. You actually don't learn anything during the course of the day. You take the information from the, by the way, I said that at a school once. I was like, you guys don't learn anything during the course of the day. And the kids are like, yes, we know. I was like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I actually mean that you encode your memories into your brain at night while you sleep. And so that happens in the first half of sleep, in deep sleep, also while the brain is washing itself out. So that's why the first four and a half hours is so important for brain health, but also for learning. Now, the other really cool thing that's been discovered is that we improve our creativity and problem solving. We set the stage for our ability to be creative and to solve problems in the second half of sleep when REM and light sleep are more prominent. And that is when we are able to set the stage for coming up with new solutions, to old problems, creativity, innovation, which is why giving yourself permission to get enough sleep is so important. Again, this happens in the second half of sleep. Now, the very interesting thing that occurs also when we sleep is that the nervous system settles down and repairs, recovers, and regenerates. We shift from sympathetic nervous system activation to parasympathetic. We can actually observe that in heart rate variability. We'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but essentially what happens here 
is that the brain sends signals down through the spinal cord out into the body. If the brain is activated, stressed, it will send powerful signals out into the body and your heart will beat rhythmically and repetitively so your heart rate variability will be low because the beats will happen in perfect sequence and timing. If your brain is more relaxed, you are parasympathetic dominant, then the beats in your heart will occur more randomly. Beat. Right? It's all over the place. Your variability will be high. And so and when we start sleeping, you can see that your heart rate variability is low. And gradually over the course of the night, it increases, showing a gradual shift from sympathetic dominance to parasympathetic dominance. So if you're tracking your sleep, that's definitely one thing to look for. Now, the challenge for all of us in this era is getting this nervous system recovery to occur when so many of us are doing this in the hour before you fall asleep at night. So I would love for all of you to consider as a core practice, this idea of practicing a digital sunset. Here's why. This is an MRI scan of the brain. You're looking at it from the top. It's a slice through the head at the level of the eyes. If we zoom in here, you can actually see the eyeballs. And if we have these devices and we shine them through our eyes late at night, that light passes through the eyeball, hits the back of the eyeball right there. And a structure that looks like this that converts light into electricity, which shoots back through the optic nerve into a deep organ in the brain called the pineal gland, that releases a hormone called melatonin. Melatonin, whoops, sorry. Melatonin controls your sleep-wake cycles. So if you are shining these devices into your eyes late at night, you are sending electrical signals into the pineal gland, basically saying it's morning, it's noon, the sun is up, it's light out, you don't need to go to sleep right now, which makes it difficult for the pineal gland to release melatonin when it's supposed to, making it very hard for you to fall asleep and to stay asleep. So I would highly recommend that we all, every single one of us, parents, kids, coaches, clients, like leaders, leaders without a title, all of us adopt the idea of defending your last hour. Now, this is data that I collected using an Ura ring. And you can see here, um, that I was basically awake, lying in bed, staring at the ceiling for the first three hours of sleep because I worked right up until the last possible second, doing email and all that other stuff. As a result, I didn't sleep very well. And um, obviously I was super stressed and staring at the ceiling. The next night I decided to sleep a lot better. So I implemented this protocol, which ironically enough, um, I wrote, on a, wrote up on my iPad on a flight home from Europe when I wasn't sleeping. But um, the idea here working left to right is to love life and create an evening routine that allows us to dream, sleep awesome, connect with family to recover and regenerate. So at six o'clock, screens go off, kids get into bed. By the way, I wrote this when my children were a lot younger. It's been compressed um, into, sorry, other way, um, compressed that way uh, into the evening a little bit later now that they're a little bit older. But point, you'll see the, the pattern is what's most important here. So Six to seven is sort of family time, right? Like just decompression, baths, reading, dinner. Seven to eight is connection time with Judith, my wife. So dinner, yoga, relax, chill, walk, right? All those sort of stuff. Eight to 8.30 is real deep 
decompression and deactivation. So that's meditation, gratitude, journaling, foam rolling therapy, anything like that. 8.30 to 9, hot bath, cool shower to decrease body temperature because that decreasing body temperature triggers the release of melatonin. And then I get into bed, read for 20 minutes, fiction, not anything related to industry or anything that requires my mental commitment activation. And then I sleep by 9.30 because I really love to wake up early. Now, when I did that, you'll notice that my, first of all, heart rate and body temperature dropped at the beginning of the night and collected this on my Apple watch. Um, but then also that I was in deep sleep almost immediately for the first few hours, getting that deep recovery and regeneration, brainwashing, good brainwashing. Um, and the number of, you can just see right there straight up an hour of deep sleep, which is sort of my threshold for feeling really, really good. So the point being here is that I want you to defend your last hour as a core tactic for you to improve your health and well-being and ability to sleep consistently. Now, I know that that's a lot of information I just shared you, but I wanted to give you sort of a broad overview of some of the brain physiology without putting you to sleep, but then also highlight some of the tactics that we can use and tools that we can use to track our sleep and also show you that when we make little tiny changes, like Defend Your Last Hour, the impact on our actual sleep is quite profound and almost immediately measurable. But I realize that sleep is challenging. Getting to sleep, staying asleep is, is quite difficult. And so I kind of pulled everyone and gathered some questions about sleep and pulled together a bunch of the key questions that, ever, that everyone's been asking me into a Q&A section, just to make sure that this is hyper relevant for all of you. And one of the most common questions that I get is this one, which is what can I do when I wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep again? Like this is the number one question that I get across all of my audiences. And I would love for you to do a couple things to figure this out. Now in the resources that I'm gonna make available at the end of today's session, I have the Ripple Effect Workbook, which is based on the book, The Ripple Effect. And in that workbook, there's a Sleep Soundly section. And in the Sleep Soundly section, there is a worksheet that you can use to log your sleep patterns. And there's bedtime, wake time, right? And all of the simple questions that you can use just to sort of get a handle on your sleep. Now, when you're doing this, there's a couple things that I think that you might observe that will help you understand how to avoid waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to fall back asleep again. The first one is having a consistent bedtime. If you're regularly going to sleep at the same time, your body will know when to produce melatonin so that you fall asleep and you stay asleep. Second thing is defending your last hour. That will enable you to make sure that you're not putting into your brain activating and stressful concepts that you need to deal with while you are sleeping. And then when you switch from deep sleep to REM sleep and that creative recovery problem solving zone, you don't suddenly wake up with your mind racing. That's why I read fiction, not anything to do with work. So when we begin to analyze our patterns and see that when you do certain things, which you will become obvious when you fill out this form for a week, um, there are things that you will be doing that will stress you out and make you wake up in the middle of the night. And there will be other things that you can do that will help you. Maybe it's a hot bath. Maybe it's talking to 
your loved ones. Maybe it's reading fiction. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's gratitude journaling. But there's so many little things you can do that make it easier for you to fall asleep. All of that then comes together in you developing your own last hour protocol. What is it that you are going to be doing in that last hour that will enable you to fall asleep and to stay asleep? And in that process, again, back to the workbook, we do two things. First thing is we track our pre-bed routine. What is it that we are doing so we can see the patterns and start to develop some habits? Then we plan out what is it that we want to be doing before we fall asleep, two hours before, turn off the work, 60 minutes before, turning off all of our devices, right? 40 minutes before, meditation, 20 minutes before, reading fiction, then lights out. And yours will look different than mine. But building this protocol for you will enable you to Make sure that as often as possible, not all the time, but as often as possible, you fall asleep and you stay asleep. So hopefully that's that's helpful for you. And we will have that those worksheets um, available for you. I'll give you the link as soon as we are we are done the session. All right. Next question that I get is the following: It is what can someone do when they are doing shift work? And I know so many people. Um, are on shift work or their partners or loved ones are on shift work, first responders, right? Like so many different people who are so critical to our world um, do work on shifts. And so there's a couple tactics that I have for you that I think can make a big difference. And so if you are doing shift work, then the number one thing I, I think is critical that can make a big difference right away is leveraging the power of naps. So this is back to our sleep cycle graph. And you'll notice here that there's two sort of green boxes. The green boxes are the two types of naps that work. Um, the first one is the power nap, 20 minutes or less. And you wake up out of REM in stage one. The reason why we want to limit our sleep to 20 minutes or less is because if you wake up out of stage two, three, four deep sleep in that 30 to 60 minute time zone, time window, that's when you have what's called sleep inertia. You wake up while the brain is still sort of washing itself out. The glial lymphatic system has been activated. And as a result, you wake up and you feel terrible for hours. So that 20 minute power nap, use an alarm, enables you to get a quick reset of your brain's physiology. You clear out adenosine, which triggers you needing to fall asleep and feeling fatigued uh, and improves mental concentration, alertness, basically mental performance. The second type of nap is the second green block, and that is the full sleep cycle nap. In that one, you do not use an alarm and you wake up naturally, probably, hopefully 75 to 90 minutes later. And in that case, you get both the brain clearing itself out, physiological benefits, but you also get a growth hormone pulse, which heals, repairs, and regenerates your body's energy and structures enabling you to get both the mental and physical benefits as well. That's why you will see many professional athletes take a good solid 90 minute nap before a game in the evening, because we know that that helps us to repair, recover and regenerate quickly. So hopefully that is helpful for you as well. And if you have anyone in your life 
who is on shift, uh, those little tiny naps will help you to get through the day and get you to the next time you have an opportunity to get to sleep. And keep in mind, like when we say seven to eight hours, we're not necessarily saying that it all always has to happen at the same time. I think it's better if it does. But if that's not possible for you, you've got young kids, you've got shift work, you get an interrupted night of sleep, it happens. Then we're aiming for that seven to eight hours per 24 hour cycle. And so getting a good nap is super helpful as well. All right, next question here is, seems like it's a badge of honor to sleep less. What can I do when it's the culture at work? I mean, honestly, the reality is that it's also very much a culture of the entire world. And that's why one of the things that we work on and this community works on and the people that we're talking to and sharing this this experience with, um, think about sleep. And when we think about sleep, not only does your health improve, but the reality is your performance improves also. It's not just thinking about sleep. It's actually putting some of these practices into your life and working on them consistently so we actually improve the quality of our sleep. And we used to think that burning the midnight oil was the way to do things and sleeping less to accom- is a way to accomplish more. And what we've discovered is that it is absolutely not the case. In fact, the less that we sleep, the more inefficient our work gets and the less healthy that we get too, ultimately leading to poor performance and burnout. And so we need to change the culture of work, of our our entire world at the moment, actually. Uh, and I think that getting a great night's sleep is one of the fundamental ways that we can do that. All right, final question I have for you today is all around tracking Um, how do I track my sleep using a wearable? Um, There are many different wearables that you can use. Oura Ring, Apple Watch, Fitbit, Garmin. I'm agnostic. I I don't care which one you use. Um, The data says that if you compare any of the above to sleep studies where you go to a sleep lab and you have EEG measurements of your brain, that in general, the um, validity of the measurements obtained using various different devices, wearable devices is okay. It's reasonable, but it's not lab quality. What is exceptionally good though, is if you use one device and you use the same device on the same person to measure change, then the reliability is excellent. So validity, does it actually measure what it says it's going to measure is pretty good, not lab quality, but pretty good given that it's a couple hundred dollars versus you know thousands of dollars for a sleep study. Um, but the reliability, if you do two tests in a row uh, on the same individual using the same device, you will get pr- approximately the same data. Um, and that correlation is outstanding. Therefore, we can use these devices to track changes in our physiology in response to things that we are doing. Getting to bed on a consistent time, turning out the lights early, um, getting in a workout and seeing the effect that that has. So you can use any device that you want. The um, application that we have built uh, in my team, in my organization, which I will use for this discussion, but again, I'm completely agnostic, Fitbit, Garmin, Oura, um, Apple Watch, they all work. We, we've built um, an app called Vivio, and I will show you data from that. If you want to check it out, that's the link QR code to go to the page uh, and it enables you to track your sleep. Basically, this is what the homepage looks like. So you can get sleep, eat, move and think data. 
Um, there's an Apple Watch component too, which enables you to get all of like the heart rate and heart rate variability data. And when you click that little plus button on the bottom, that opens up the tracking. You click on assess sleep and you can assess your sleep either using your phone, which will give you duration only, uh, or on your watch, which will give you sleep time plus all sorts of different um, results. Just again, like every other platform does as well. Uh, if you then go to back to the homepage, the purple circle will give you your sleep score. Click on that. That gives you your sleep score. Of course, I took data from a night when I slept. Like this is the best sleep I've ever gotten ever. 9.9 .9 out of 10 or 99 out of 100. Um, so I'm showing you like Greg's best sleep ever. And in this case, you can see I got over eight hours, which is that sweet spot. So this is one of the first things that you can look at to see, am I sleeping well? Um, and that seven to eight hours window is you know, where a lot of us need to be. The other thing about that you can then look at with almost all wearables is the break up between the breakdown between uh, REM, light, and deep sleep. In general, ballpark, approximately 25% of your time can be spent in REM, 25% in deep, and about 50% in light. Generally speaking, plus or minus 10% on either side of all of that um, will be the zones that you get into. If you do a really, really hard workout, you will probably get a little bit more deep sleep. If you're super stressed, you're gonna have a lot more light sleep. So monitor your days and get some data and you'll see what that does. Um, another thing to look at carefully, and this night I was really tired. So like I lay down in bed, I passed out, and then you know eight hours later I woke up. So my sleep efficiency was outstanding. That's the amount of time that you spend in bed, actually sleep, not awake. So if you wake up all the time, that number will go down. So sleep efficiency is another number for you to track and take a look at. We also, at the very bottom of this, you will see resting heart rate. I'm really fascinated in the lowest resting heart rate that you get during the course of your night of sleep. For me, Greg, if I get under 50, I know that I'm in a pretty good place if my numbers are higher than 50, then I need to pre-prioritize sleep. You'll also notice that throughout the course of the night, my heart rate keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. In this case, I know that I wasn't fully recovered because really it should come up a little bit. Um, so maybe even this case, I, I mean, I was tired. I did a hard workout that day. I could have used even a little bit more sleep. Another number that you can look at is heart rate variability. Heart rate variability, you wanna get the highest number possible. And when I'm over 100, I know that I'm doing a really great job and getting a really great night's sleep. Um, and you'll also notice that that typically, um, that number actually climbs throughout the course of the night. You can see those peaks constantly getting higher throughout the night. So as your heart rate, your resting heart rate goes down, your heart rate variability will go up, indicating a shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic dominance, which is what we're looking for when we sleep. So those are just a few things that you can begin to track using your wearable, whichever one you want to use is all, is all good. And when you get good data, you can see whether the interventions that you're making are helping you to get better or not. So that's it for me on this one. I hope that that's helpful. I wanted to keep things tight and focused and not take too much of your time uh, in order to give you more resources that you can use afterwards to help you on your journey. Uh, I've got a bunch of stuff for you, and I'll give you a link where you can get all of these. So the first one is the Ripple Effect Workbook. It's based on my book. In that workbook, there is a Sleep Soundly section. 
check that out. Um, and it's a free download at the link and I'll show you in a moment. Um, obviously the book, I, I wrote this a while ago, but the sleep chapter is absolutely relevant. I'm really proud of this one. It did really, really well. If you wanted to check it out, I'd be completely honored. You can get it on Amazon. I think it's like 20 bucks or something like that. So super honored. So anyway, the app, Vivio app, the workbook and the book are all available at this link, which you can check out on this QR code as well. Uh, so if you wanted to go there and check that out and avail yourself of some of these resources, I would be most appreciative. And that is obviously my website. So my social media are there as well. And if you want to ask me a question, just use the contact page and that will come to me and my team and we will get back to you. So let's wrap things up here and give you one final sort of big picture idea. And that is this. Increasing sleep from five to seven hours a night can decrease your risk of heart attack or stroke by 45%. Research ironically conducted by Professor Cappuccino, but basically one extra sleep cycle cuts your risk of heart disease almost in half. That's how powerful sleep is. So given how important it is, I wish all of you the best as the, the sun sets and you head out. And this is me with my family on the beach, but uh, ultimately just hoping all of you have um, more sleep that you help the people that you love and work with to sleep better as well. And I wish you nothing but the best. If you want to get in touch with me, these are all of my social media and my podcast goes out as well. I've got a bunch of really great people on the show that have spoken about sleep and my website is below. And of course, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I would be honored and deeply, deeply grateful for any and all of your uh, questions and, and cons questions, concerns, and anything else that comes up when it comes to sleep. So that's it for me. Thank you so much, everyone. Hope that you've enjoyed the session. All the best. Enjoy the rest of the experience, and we will hopefully see you all soon. Take care, everyone. All the best. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. If you found this show informative and helpful, check out my blog at drgregwells.com for additional insights and resources on health and human performance. I update the blog a couple times a month. To stay up to date on the latest tips, articles, and videos, be sure to follow me on social at Dr. Greg Wells. My goal on social is to keep your health and wellness and positivity at the forefront of your mind, and so I would be thrilled to connect with you there. If you found this episode helpful, please consider subscribing to the podcast. That helps us out a ton and leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated and helps me to continue to produce valuable content that's relevant to all of you. Please feel free to share this episode with your friends and community. That helps a ton as well. And that brings this week's show to an end. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great week, everyone.